Welcome to the Inclusive Growth Show with Toby Milden. Future-proofing your business by creating a diverse workplace. Hello there. Thank you ever so much for tuning into this episode of the Inclusive Growth Show. I'm Toby Milden, and today I'm joined by Rakia berendelli Um, and uh, she works for an organization uh, called Catalyst, which is a an NGO organization and today we're going to be talking about the very important topic of psychological safety and the impact that that has on creating a more inclusive workplace let's begin by you letting us know a bit more about your your background and how you got into your line of work Thank you, Toby, for having me. So my name is Rakia Berendelli-Fain, and I'm a di- director for Catalyst in the EMEA region. Um, if I take a step back, before I came to Catalyst, I was uh, working in the UK, and I was working more in community identity. So I was working at the University of East London as a more student experience officer, but looking at community identity, diversity, and inclusion. And so diversity inclusion wasn't my only focus, but it was a key focus in terms of being in London and looking at, you know, whether our students felt like they um, belonged, whether they could achieve in the Society of London. And we were seeing there were some themes there. Um, And then what happened was I moved to Switzerland and I would love to say I moved for work, but I actually moved for love. And um, as my husband is Swiss and I have a daughter here now and the diversity and inclusion officer um, told me about Catalyst and uh, that's how I came across uh, came across Catalyst and I um, started as a senior associate and I've worked my way up as a director where I am now working more with companies to create more diverse and inclusive workplaces. I also sit on the Catalyst Awards Evaluation Committee. So we look at what does good progress look like. Uh, so our 2020 award winners featured Unilever, uh, Medronic and Deloitte Australia. So that's that's really been great. And then I do some speaking and facilitating on behalf of Catalyst on various topics such as unconscious bias or emotional tax, uh, sponsorship and mentoring along those lines. And that's a little bit about me. Yeah, and that's the reason why I got you on this show because uh, I saw you speaking at a conference about psychological safety um, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's begin with, uh, I suppose, a simple question, which is what is psychological safety? This is a great question. Um, And... I think there's different definitions uh, for psychological safety. Well, I wouldn't say different definitions exactly, but people may describe it slightly different. But at Catalyst, you know, we always start with this kind of framework in terms of when you think of um, psychological safety or when you think of safety in the workplace, the thing that comes to mind to often is physical safety or um, functional safety. But psychological safety is usually not the first thing that comes to people's mind, but it's actually really, really important because the impact of a negative work environment is, you know, can really play havoc on people's uh, mental and physical well-being. So psychological safety is really when we're talking about and the questions I usually would ask people, do you feel safe to speak up at work? Do you feel safe to give your ideas, give your opinions? Do you feel safe to take risk? 
do you feel safe to bring up tough issues at, at work? So these are the things we usually are looking at uh, when we're talking about psychological safety and what we hear often, you know, we would love to hear yes very often, but we, we know that's not often the case. So at Catalyst, you know, and I think, you know, when we're working with executives and managers particularly, uh, and we're asked to come in and work with them, like maybe on um, workshops and so on. Organizational culture comes up a lot, and that aspect of risk taking comes up a lot. Are you able to? Are you able to take risk in the organization, or you know, do you fear making mistakes? And this is where we really see it come come up quite a bit. Um, Catalyst, we did some research many years ago um, on psychological safety. And then in our recent report about a year ago or so, um, we actually did another study, um, a deep dive, should I say, into psychological safety. And we found that when we're talking about psychological safety latitude, we feel that, you know, individuals feel they can make mistakes without being penalized or they're being viewed as a, re, um, a troublemaker and they can really step outside the status quo with their thoughts and actions. And that's really important without their feeling there are going to be any consequences. However, psychological safety risk taking, which is the other aspect that we say um, is you feel a really strong sense of security when addressing tough issues, asking for help and asking for help. People are like, oh, in risk taking. But this is really important in terms of creating um, comfortability with risk taking and ensuring that, uh, you know, less errors are being made when we're doing risk taking or that idea of unconstructive risk taking it's good at mitigating that. Um, so that's what we really see. And, it, you know, it really emphasizes confidence in being able to engage in constructive risk-taking behaviors instead of feeling undermined or shamed. So that's how Catalyst defines um, psychological safety. That's cool. And what, what do you notice in teams and the way that they function when there's kind of high psychological safety versus low psychological safety and, and th their performance? I think that's a great question in terms of what we feel is if you flip it uh, the other side. So, you, again, you see that uh, people want to speak up in meetings. People feel they are able to give feedback um, and comfortable giving feedback. Feedback is a huge thing in terms of that comfort level um, that there's um, – they feel trusted. We have like five hallmarks of inclusion. And I do think psychological safety is interlinked with that. So when we look at uh, our five hallmarks, people feel like they can be their authentic self. They can bring their full self to work. They feel valued for who for the work they do, for everything they bring. Um, then we have um, trusted. And I think we talk about, you know, yes, you're trusted to do your work, but we talk more along the lines of um, feeling the, the feelings of being trusted makes you feel that you can bring meaningful contributions um, that 
I, I think the other one would be interested is that you feel that you are you have influence in decision making. That's where we see a, a strong influence in trust. And then the psychological safety, you can make mistakes and you're not feeling penalized and, and, and risk taking. You can take constructive risk taking in behavior and that's encouraged. Um, so that's where we would really see we would like to see in teams. And I think this is not really highlighted in our new report, but it was highlighted in our older report that that trust with teams is very important, that you feel that your team member is cooperative with you, wants to work with you instead of competitive with you or sees you as a threat. So that's, I think, is really important as well. Yeah, I am. I, um... I think um, trust is hugely important. And um, yeah, I don't know if you've ever read um, Stephen Covey's book. Obviously, he's famous for the seven habits of highly effective habits. But he wrote he wrote a book about um, trust and leadership in organizations, which is a another really good, good book that he read. Uh, wrote sorry oh right yeah yeah I haven't I haven't um read that but I'll put it on my list because yeah, I do like the seven habits yeah, yeah. um so what are some of the inclusive leadership behaviors that that promote psychological safety in the workplace uh yeah absolutely so I will go back to the getting real about inclusive leadership report because I guess what I should have highlighted in the report is that we at Callus we work with 800 supporter organizations across the world. They're multinational companies. And when we're working with them, they also feature in our research reports. So these are global, this is a global research study with companies across the world. And what we see in them is what we see in our report is really telling us the picture, the big picture of what's really happening and what's really working. So with the six core behaviors, this is what we really see are really helpful in creating inclusion. And when managers and leaders are using these inclusive behaviors, that's where we really see there's a difference. But just to highlight, I do think when we're looking at inclusive leadership behaviors, it's not just managers and leaders. We need to start with each and one of us and take time to self-reflect and think about, you know, how inclusive we are with our teammates as well. But the six core behaviors, the three that um, we call leading outward, and that, that really highlights accountability, um, allyship and ownership. And those are really what we say you need to be engaging with your team, you know, to help them feel empowered and flourished and being able to flourish. But when we are looking about leading inward, that's a little bit different. That's looking about courage and being able to self-reflect as a leader or manager. And that's where we see curiosity and humility and um, the last one, courage, is, is really, really huge. And so those are really where we see and I can... I, if I can, if you would want me, I can go in a little bit deeper when we say accountability, like on the leading out, you hold team members responsible for their behavior development and work processes. Um, I guess a key theme I like to highlight is that we would say you have constructive two-way feedback, you know, both A and you talk about feedback quite a bit because we see this is quite important in psychological safety. And then when we're looking at ownership, you guide team members to solve their own problems and make their own decisions. So very complete opposite to micromanagement. Um, and you're encouraged, encouraged them to think about the big picture thinking. So you're 
actually technically encouraging constructive risk-taking. Um, and then the other one I, I mentioned was allyship. So you actively support people from underrepresented groups. So you're interrupting biased behaviors and you're encouraging others to do the same, I think is one example here, because if you see something and if you see um, behavior that's not you think is inclusive, you, you have to be able to act, you have to be, you know, be able to interrupt that. Yeah. And then when we were looking about leading inward, it's curiosity, you proactively seek to understand different points of views. So, you, you know, we hear this a lot. Um, that's really important. And then I would also add humility. You take ownership from mistakes and learn from missteps. And this bit, I think, is really important because I was on a, a panel discussion on psychological safety and I there was three of us speaking uh, and humility came up quite a lot. So um you know humility was saying you know you have to look inwards in that way you need to be seeking feedback to encourage team members to tell you the truth about yourself um but being vulnerable being able to um, admit shortcomings or failures is really important to really help psychological safety you know by so being able to role model and share stories and learnings about your mistakes or your failures really can actually help create that we don't need to be perfect here and encourage you act in accordance with your principles even when it involves personal risk taking or it feels uncomfortable so those are our six core behaviors now yeah. yeah i think those, those hallmarks of inclusive leadership are really good because when I work with my clients for instance I always stress the point that it's the senior leaders of the business that need to be walking the talk um, they just can't pay lip service to diversity and inclusion um, and they need to be demonstrating inclusive leadership traits because they set the tone for the whole organization absolutely uh, and then it kind of trickles down from there um, have you done any work around micro aggressions um, in the work of psychological safety? I, I thought this was an interesting question to tie together. We, uh, you know, at Catalyst, we talk about microaggressions. We link it very much with unconscious bias. And uh, we talk about it in our emotional tax. And emotional tax is that additional burden of feeling different to your peers due to gender and race or ethnicity. So that's where we really see um, microaggressions coming up a bit. In terms of psychological safety, I think the impact of microaggressions is really where it can hit on a psychological level. So we see like that, the long-term impact of microaggressions. And I, th I think what's interesting about microaggressions is, you know, you might have heard it's death by a thousand cuts quite often, that saying. And if you're hearing that all the time, you know, what is the impact? And so we've seen, you know, um, individuals, employees feel less engaged. Mm. Uh, they feel othered, like they're on the outside. Uh, it impacts this feeling of sense of worth, self-worth. Uh, we see things along those lines. But I also like to highlight with microaggressions, you know, microaggressions are very common in the workplace and they can happen. But sometimes I think microaggressions are the word used for some incidents that are not microaggressions. They are actually isolated incidents of just treating people poorly. And, and we need to be able to distinguish those, the difference between those as well. Um, mm. But where I, sorry, to come back, where I wanted to say psychological safety, where I really see it is um, 
we talk about psychological safety in terms of a lot of risk and making mistakes, but also, are you safe to really speak up or, are you, you know, if you think your colleague is going to say something to you, that's going to make you feel uncomfortable? No, not really. Um, or you're expecting that. And we talk a lot about covering with microaggressions as well. Yeah. So that's where we are really saying, you know, we see that interlinked. You cover more in your workplace. And if you're covering, then you don't feel like you can be yourself. You watch what you're saying. You might be more cautious about um, the mistakes and probably not even engaging in risk-taking behavior at all. So I, I do think it's all interlinked. And uh, where we see where you can mitigate that is we go back to inclusive leadership behaviors such as curiosity. Why don't you ask questions instead of assuming things? Because that's half of what microaggressions are, that unconscious kind of assuming things about people. So, you know, stop yourself in your tracks and think, hey, if, like, can I be more curious? And, um, you know, taking more humility is another one that comes up too. Like, actually, let me let me think about my own behaviors um, and how that might impact others. So we often say at Callus, you know, assume positive intent, but own your own impact is what we often say when we're talking about microaggressions, because the impact that you're having on others is just as important. So you mentioned covering. Um, so the person listening to us today might not have heard of this concept. Can you just briefly explain what covering is? Okay. So covering, um, in a short term, covering is where you cover aspects of your identity um, because you may not feel safe or you um, protect you. I would say protecting yourself against bias. So it's that protecting yourself against bias that will possibly happen, probably happen. Um, so you cover um, in advance. So when we talk about covering, I, I use a personal example often. Um, so um, I experienced, you could say, um, covering can take different forms. It could be physical, it could be behavior, um, it could be maybe you don't speak up on the issue. So I always use examples in terms of if it's gender related, if you're the only woman maybe in a meeting and, you know, the gender conversation comes up, you might not speak up about it. You don't want to be the token woman speaking up on gender or you fear um, the comments that might be coming back at you. So you cover, you play down your gender, you play down what you feel about that. But when I think of physical um so I'm black British and um, I often wear my hair up. <laughs> and uh, the reason why is because I actually experienced something in a work environment where I wore my hair down and um, people uh, threw something into my hair. And, um, you know, they thought it was a joke that it stayed in my hair and not understanding what Afro hair is really about. And I felt very uncomfortable because my hair became the focus. So what mm. do I do? I cover, I, I, um, I tie my hair up because I want the focus to be on me, my abilities, than what my hair is about. Yeah. And yeah. of course, if you're the only person on the team that is different, which I was, you know, of being black British, you're more aware of that. So you're protecting yourself against further microaggressions in advance. Yeah, I, I I agree with you, and you know I I think I've done my fair share of 
covering up as well. So you know, I'm 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 a wheelchair user, and it's it's really about downplaying or hiding certain aspects of yourself. Um, so it's like you can't not see that I'm in a wheelchair because I'm an electric wheelchair that's very heavy uh, and bulky. Um, but I, you know, what I might do is kind of downplay. I, I might feel uh, really uncertain about any impact of my disability in the workplace. So I might, I might be more courteous to people than I really want to be, yeah. for instance, because I don't want to be the troublemaker. Yeah. Um, you know, because I, yeah, it's it's an interesting um, sort of psychological response. Yes, it is. Um, yeah. So, how can you share with me some sort of practical things that organisations can do to try and increase allyship um, and also uh, active bystanders within an organisation? Yeah, I think this has really come up quite a lot um, at the moment, you know, due to COVID and the Black Lives Matter, I should say what happened to George Floyd in the US, we hear a lot more about allyship and, you know, what is allyship in terms of, you know, it's not just showing um, support, you know, you know, we see as allyship is something of a journey that you, you don't have a, a, a a point of destination. You don't just achieve it. It's something you have to spend your life working on. And with that, we say, you know, three things you have to do is connect, educate, and act. Uh, sometimes I say CEA as an easy way to re remember it. And so connect for us is that you connect to the group that you are or, or cause that you saying you're supporting as an allyship. So if it's, um, Black Lives Matter or the community of Black people, then you know it's you you you're showing support, but by showing support, you're not just saying I support that group. That you actually see that the oppression for that group is also oppression for you, and you it's got to be a mutual, a beneficial purpose. So that allyship is viewing it as it benefits me too by supporting this group because we want to see that this change is happening, that bias is hurting everyone. And I think even if you think about it in terms of a work environment, if you have an uninclusive environment, that hurts everyone. So, you know, if you're supporting um, underrepresented groups or noticing how much they're being heard, this is really important as well to show support. And then, so that's connection is there and education is key. You have to educate yourself, but not over-reliance of educating yourself from said group. Uh, and I think that's come up quite a bit during this time. You know, do go and do your own reading and, and, and find your own understanding instead of asking a particular group to educate for, educate you on a particular topic. Um, but, of course, you have to engage with um, that group as well. And then last but not least, you have to act. It's not okay to say, oh, I'm connected, I educate myself in this, but you're not actually doing anything so you have to really be an ally you have to and we talk about bystander being a bystander you have to act you have to interrupt biased behaviors you have to um, speak up maybe on behalf of others if if you feel their voices are not being heard yeah so we always say take time to reflect. I think when you're also thinking of acting, like how much time am I, am I taking up, up in meetings? Who's not being heard? Um, the other things we would say, um, 
who are you leaving behind as oh I have another one I always say but I forget who are you leaving behind and how much do you know about that said group anyway you know what you think you know do you really know do you really understand experiences um, of that group so that's where we see allyship as being really important okay brilliant um so in our in our conversation today you've mentioned a couple of reports that that Catalyst have have written what are those reports and how do we get our hands on them yeah so uh, Catalyst um I, I, is a research advisory um, membership organization. And as I mentioned, we have over 800 supporter organization who registered to us. Uh, but our reports are usually open to the public because we are a global NGO. Um, but our tools and practices and some infographics are only for our supporters only, as understandable. So the report I mentioned was getting real about inclusive leadership. And there are, they are quite in-depth reports. They're a good read. Um, so you can um, access that, that. Emotional tax is more, like I said, related to gender, race and ethnicity. And uh, we talk more about that intersectionality experience in, in emotional tax and you're able to access those we have several reports on that um, so we do you know check out our website uh, it's www.catalyst.org and you should be able to access most of our research reports which we do in different topics we talk about sponsorship mentoring um, well we talk more about sponsorship as we see there's more benefit benefit in sponsoring others um, and LGBTQ+, we have some resources on that as well. But really and truly, you know, um, Catalyst mission is accelerating the progress of women through workplace inclusion. So our how is how we really sit in the diversity and inclusion space. Uh, but we do have a lot of data on gender, gender partnerships, so how to engage men um, and how to... Um, you know, really accelerate the progression of women in the, in, in the organization. Excellent. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Rakia, for joining me today. It's been really great talking to you. Um, and thank you for, uh, for listening into this episode of the Inclusive Growth Show. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Please do, do go and check out the reports that uh, Rakia uh, mentioned on the Catalyst website. Until then, uh, I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Inclusive Growth Show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Inclusive Growth Show. For further information and resources from Toby and his team, head on over to our website at milden.co.uk.